Hello and welcome. I'm Mariah Gamble and you're tuning in to the Sense Making in the Changing World show hosted by the Permaculture Education Institute. My guest today has been described as a thought leader in the fashion world because of her ethical and sustainable approach, her efforts to localise production, source good fibres, mentor entrepreneurs who make timeless clothing and explore the use of innovative fabrics that change how we clothe ourselves. How we dress ourselves is connected so much to the health of the planet. Shannon Law is the founder and director of Factory 45, which helps new clothing entrepreneurs do things differently. Fashion, in fact, is one of the biggest contributors to climate change, pollution, waste, and human rights abuses. We've got to do this differently. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the unceded lands from which I'm speaking with you, the Gabi Gabi, and pay my deep respect to their elders past present and emerging. And I'd like to recognise their care for this land, the waters and biodiversity for millennia. Make sure to check out the show notes below for links to Shannon's work and also for more information about our work here at the Permaculture Education Institute. Oh, and make sure to to subscribe and get your notification of our podcast series and leave us a lovely review. It really does make a difference in terms of how the algorithms find out and share our little podcast. Well, welcome to the Sense Making the Changing World show, Shannon. It's an absolute delight to have you on. For the listeners who are here with us today, Shannon is a thought leader in the fashion world and it's a delight to be speaking with her because both Shannon and I are focusing on exploring how it is that we can be in this world in a more sustainable, regenerative way and how we can support others to enter into this space and to step up into this kind of world in, from a from a livelihood perspective as well as the way that we live our lives. So welcome to the show, Shannon. It's an absolute delight to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So if you maybe we could just start from the very start. Can you tell us a little bit about what is um, Factory 45 and and the work that you do in sustainable fashion? Just as, like as an introduction, what does that mean? Sure. Yeah. Factory 45 is an online business school that takes sustainable fashion brands from idea to launch. So in 2014, I started the program because I had just launched a sustainable fashion brand. I had no idea what it meant to be sustainable in the fashion industry. It was kind of like that was an oxymoron to even use those two words together. And so my goal through launching Factory 45 was to make it easier for fashion entrepreneurs to start um, and make products that are sustainably and ethically made from the beginning. So why did you start focusing on sustainable fashion? What brought you to that place? So when I was starting out, um, I was a fast fashion bargain bin junkie. I was known for in college, I would go to a Forever 21. I would buy a dress. I would wear it that night on a Friday night, throw it into the back of my closet, never wear it again. Um, And that's what the fast fashion industry is designed to make you do. It's a $10 dress. You know, if you wear it once, it's a great, you know, you got your money's worth. The problem is it creates this idea of disposable fashion. And when I went to start researching and looking into the idea of starting my own brand, I quickly realized how detrimental and damaging the fashion industry is on the environment, on the people who make our clothing, um, and how I was just, you know, 
another part of the problem from the consumer standpoint. So I started a business to be a part of the solution. Um, and we can get into what that sort of looked like and, and what, what the brand was that I built. But now I, um, you know, we, we look at the sort of the sustainable fashion industry. We look at the H and M's of the world and, you know, they're backtracking now, right. They're going to be sustainable by the year, 2023, 2028, whatever it is. Well, how can we start to create fashion brands just from infancy, from idea stage in a way that is sustainable from the beginning so that you don't have to backtrack backtrack in your supply chain and fix things after you've already been established? How can we do that from the beginning? And also, I guess, too, there's a lot of, I guess, um, misunderstanding too about what sustainable fashion means and a, a bit of a mistrust too when you hear big brand saying, oh, we're going sustainable, we're going to recycle. When we hear also facts and figures about how little of our fibres get recycled. So what does sustainable fashion mean to you or what is it possible to have sustainable fashion? Yeah, well, I say that there, when it comes to making clothing, there is no such thing as perfectly sustainable. Anytime you're making something new, it's going to have an impact. And on, you know, kind of back to the fast fashion model, it doesn't matter if you make all of your clothing in organic cotton, right? A, a, a landfill overflowing with clothing is still overflowing with clothing, no matter what it's made from. And so when you have this culture and sort of this um, marketing system that the fast fashion industry has of, again, buy a dress, wear it that night, throw it to the back of your closet, put it in the trash then we have a inherently unsustainable fashion industry. Um, and so when I work with my entrepreneurs in Factory 45, we sort of look at, okay, yes, fabric is part of that, using natural fibers, not using polyester. You know, the manufacturing is part of that. But it's also about the end life and the life cycle of the garment and making something that's going to last for years to come. We really emphasize seasonless, trendless designs um, and knowing where that garment is going to end up when your customer is done with it. I love that, the fact that it's that seasonless, trendless. So actually working on that beauty, the timeless design and thinking about um, sort of that whole systems approach. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And particularly, you know, as I was doing a bit of research when I was thinking about, you know, our interview today, some of the things that I came across was that fashion is one of the biggest contributors to climate change. And I know, of course, that it also has massive impact in terms of, um, you know, pollution and waste and landfill. And and also interestingly too, or not so interestingly, that two-thirds of fabrics are made from oil, you know, mm-hmm. so the in terms of them being synthetic fabrics. And if we start to think about the impact too of other types of, you know, like the growing of the cotton and the, you know, the processing and all of the embodied energy in that, what are some of the interesting fabrics that you're starting to come across? Maybe ones that are just in an emergent phase, but where are you seeing those interesting trends emerging that are something that are, could actually be more truly sustainable? Yeah, it's a good question. So there are some like cool mushroom fabrics, seaweed fabrics, uh, coffee fabrics made of coffee grounds, recycled coffee grounds. Um, there some from uh, sour milk, 
But those are, I think, still in innovation. They're still in R&D. They're not exactly used commercially yet. But one fabric that people often don't think of, and I see it is becoming more popular, is upcycled fabric. So fabric that was being used for a T-shirt, a you know pair of pants, a men's button-up shirt, and then being cut and sewn into a completely different garment I have, um, you know, one of our graduates, um, she has a brand called Lottie, L-O-T-I, and she makes all of her garments, dresses, women's blouses from men's button-up shirts and other garments that used to be one thing and now are something else. Um, So the upcycled fabric and the upcycled fashion movement is really growing with Gen Z as well. So I have a lot of hope for keeping more textiles out of landfills in that way. Mm. And you also mentioned a lot in, in, um, in the description of your work about ethical. So what does that mean to you? And, and how does that relate to, to say workers rights in the fashion industry? Yeah, it's another issue that is not black and white, unfortunately, or at least from a, um, you know, government or uh, certification standpoint. Um, But, you know, knowing that I always say to my entrepreneurs, you have to go and visit your factory. You have to be on the ground. That's why I believe so much in localization so that you can just you know, pop over to your factory or it's a short drive or at least a short flight away rather than outsourcing overseas, depending on where you are. Um, But being able to be there in person, talk to the sewers, see what the working conditions are, you know, like basic things. Is there ventilation? Are there exits? Are um, Do the workers, the sewers seem happy? Um, And then I always say like, don't be afraid if when you're in the hiring process of a factory or manufacturer to ask how much do your sewers get paid? Um, if, and if there is a factory that is paying their workers above minimum wage, they're going to want to tell you that they're going to be excited to tell you that. Um, and so I don't think there's any shame in, in asking those kind of, you know, harder questions that may be like, don't seem polite, but are very important to knowing uh, the standard of the of the conditions. I'm really interested in this idea of localizing the production of clothes because, as far as we know, in the fast fashion industry, everything is outsourced. Everything comes from a really long way away, and we have no connection or relationship really to anyone in that flow. You know, it's just so distant. So how does one begin to find localized um, producers in in the fashion world? Yeah, it it's really hard. It's a lot easier now, um, and it's a lot easier if you're if you're in Factory Forty Five. But um, we have a whole manufacturing database of um, manufacturers, suppliers, product development. Um, but I can tell you, you know, when I was starting my brand back in 2010, we I mean, there was no stone left unturned. We talked to organic cotton farmers in Texas, uh, professors in Missouri, eco-friendly supermodels in Brooklyn, you know, anyone we could talk to. And it was still very hard to open doors. Um, So we ended up working with a factory, finally finding a factory in North Carolina, which if you're not from the United States, on the East coast of the, of the United States. And it was the old textile belt of America. That's where all of our clothing used to be made before it all started to get outsourced. Um, and 
what happens is you've kind of find like one breadcrumb and then you realize how small the industry is in your local space. And they introduce you to someone else who then introduces you to a fabric supplier who then introduces you to a cutter or a grader. And it sort of is like this network, whether that's in Los Angeles or, you know, North Carolina, Texas, wherever it is. Um, but that's what happened. And, and, and I was able to kind of network my way into now having global contacts. So if you live in, let's say, Germany, we have factories that we can recommend in Germany, same as in Australia, wherever you are. So it is very, very much still word of mouth. Yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, I think it's a little bit like in the in the local food industry too when you're trying to uncover things because everything has become so globalised that understanding and, and rediscovering the local is, is absolutely fantastic. I guess my next question was about, well, who's buying these clothes? Who's buying these um, really beautifully made, ethically sourced, natural fibred clothing? Where are you finding places to sell these? Is it online or are there stores or how does it work? Yeah, most of um, uh, most of the brands that we help to launch sell direct to consumer online. So whether that's through a Shopify site um, or, you know, through their own website, there are definitely more marketplaces now, both online and in person, brick and mortar boutiques. Um, it's really across the board, but I would say that um, selling online now, it's like, you know, it's no longer optional. It's, it's what it's a necessity. Um, and that's what, what the majority of the brands I work with are doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting because, you know, you still, if you drop into any of, I don't tend to go there very much, but if you go to the standard shopping malls, you still see the standard clothing and you sort of think, well, how, so there's this, there's that world, and then there's this world of sustainable fashion. And where are, where are they meeting? Where is that awareness? Like, unless you know to go and look for those particular brands, how is this awareness about sustainable fashion entering into this mainstream world of fashion? Where are you seeing the edges? The interface? Yeah, I'm not sure that they'll. Well, that's not true. I was going to say I'm not sure they'll ever integrate fully, but you know, you see like like a target, which is like a mainstream, you know, shopping center, like they're starting to have some sustainable brands. Like, and again, it goes back to like, what's sustainable and what are they actually sustainable? But I do think the conversation is entering more of like the mainstream consumer. And at least now, as opposed to 2010, when I was doing this, you know, launching my own brand, we're at least using those words together. And the, the, average person has at least heard about what sustainable fashion is. Um, but I will say where the most education is happening is on social media. It's on Instagram, it's on TikTok, where you have brands, small independent brands who are doing this in a thoughtful, conscious way, whether that is through ethical manufacturing or sustainable fabrics, and they're talking about it and they're taking on that education of the consumer. So to sort of ignite these conversations and meet people where they're at, you know, why does this dress that is sustainably and ethically made cost three times what you're going to see in a mainstream shopping center. Um, so all of that, I think, has really started to push the tide in, in a, a positive way. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So I wonder, when people are coming to you to be mentored, 
how, how do you support people to start up? Because what you talk about is you've just got an idea. Mm-hmm. You don't want people to come when they've already started, like it's from an idea. So h- how do you help people get from that idea on a piece of paper to actually launching their own, um, you know, their own brand and their own livelihood through a sustainable fashion, ethical fashion? Yeah. So we have sort of, we have like our online program component, which walks you through the, it's basically a roadmap or the entire process. We start with sourcing because that is the thing that takes the longest is finding the fabric and materials. But when you're talking about starting with idea stage, you know, there's this conception. I think that's a little bit old school of you need this 40 page business plan. You have to write and know all the answers up front, know exactly what, how you're going to do it, what you're going to do. And, and really the best way is to get your feet wet and just start doing something. Um, I have everyone do a one page business plan. So we're at least starting with some sort of, you know, foundation, knowing that your business plan can and should change and that nothing is set in stone. And really that, that comes from talking to who you're you think your ideal customer is having conversations with them, hearing what their problems are as it relates to your product and what the solution is that you want to provide for them. Um, so yeah, we go from, um, idea stage all the way to the end of the program is helping them to raise money through pre-selling. So, um, you also talk a lot about crowdfunding. So you use crowdfunding Mm -hmm. as a way to help people get started. Can you just talk a little bit about that? part of your process? Yeah. So pre-selling through crowdfunding. So when we talk about crowdfunding, the overarching strategy that I teach is to pre-sell your product before you create any inventory. So you can do that through crowdfunding, like a site like Kickstarter, or you can do it through your own e-commerce site, a site like Shopify. Um, But the idea, no matter what kind of platform you choose, it doesn't really matter. It's really the general strategy that you are not creating inventory and your customer is essentially financing your production for you because they're pre-ordering what you want to create and you have the money up front. This not only reduces your own risk, but it also helps you test the market before you create inventory that could potentially like sit in your basement or in a warehouse and never get sold. Mm, Which is also creating fashion waste. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So it's a win for everyone. It's a sustainability win. It's a win for your own, you know, risk, savings, money, all those things. Um, And, and thankfully we are, you know, I've been teaching this strategy since 2014 and I used it for my own brand back in 2011. And we're now seeing even like, you know, the main like luxury brands use pre-ordering. So Mm. it's cool to see how much it's grown and become just kind of like this thing that consumers are like, I'm, I'm willing to wait for this. Mm. So I wonder um, if you could just share a a couple of really inspirational stories from some of the people who've come through studio, your studio, because I think it's, um, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing seeing these innovative, um, producers, designers um, emerge. So what are some of those interesting stories that you've, that inspire you? Yeah, it's a good question. It's like hard to narrow, narrow them down. Um, Who do I want to highlight? I would say, I mean, one brand that comes to mind, she um, started Sotella 
back in, I think 2015. So she was one of my first entrepreneurs. Her brand is still running and, and she basically it's size inclusivity. So it's making sure that there is a range of sizes in the sustainable fashion space for every body type. Um, and she is very pro body positivity and just, uh, human inclusivity in, in, in all its forms. She also just had twins and she has a like four-year-old. So she's just very inspiring kind of entrepreneur who's doing it all. Um, another one of our success stories is Veta, V-E-T-T-A. Also, I think a 2015 graduate and um, probably in terms of just like exposure and revenue, our most successful brand that's launched. And she designed um, a capsule collection of five garments that can make up 30 days worth of outfits. And they release new collections kind of on like a quarterly basis. Um, so those are two that come to mind, but we have a whole page of alumni stories on our website of different brands that have launched through the program. And then we have an ethical ethical fashion marketplace called market 45, where you can see some of the brands that have, are selling. Oh, wonderful. And and I just wanted to ask you too about um, the business model, about giving back somehow. Any of your um, entrepreneurs setting up business models where, you know, they giving back for regenerative work or for yeah. human rights work, how does that fit into what you're sharing with people or what people are, are sort of unfolding in their own businesses? Yeah, we have a brand, um, Tom Kelly. She's actually an alumni mentor in the program. Megan, they um, have a partnership where they it's um, tree replanting. So for you know percentage of every sale, um, we have another alumni mentor actually who she runs a brand called Santo Swim, and they collaborate with um, like ocean cleanup. All of her bathing suits are made from recycled uh, fishing nets that are you know found in the oceans and turned into bathing suit fabric. Um, so, and then like factory 45, we donate every month to together rising, which is a big organization here that funds a bunch of different projects. Um, so I think, you know, I always say don't, you know, just give away proceeds or a cut of revenue for the sake of it, right? Like it needs to make sense for your bottom line. And if you're not there yet with your margins, don't sacrifice the health of your business for the sake of giving away to charity or organizations. Um, with that said, I think that when you start a business that is inherently sustainable, when you are, you know, working with a factory that pays its workers a fair and living wage who, who enjoy going to work every day, like that is just as important as the philanthropy piece. Um, so I think as you grow, if you can incorporate philanthropy into your business model, that's awesome. But also just make sure that you have an inherently good business from the foundation from the start. Yeah, that makes so much sense because, you know, you're giving back by doing the right thing in, in mm -hmm. for the workers and for, for the planet and for the whole, you know, the whole sourcing, um, the whole line. I'm, I haven't yeah. got all the fashion language, but what, what is no, the transparency okay. across the whole? Yes, exactly. <laughs> what is that word? Oh, gosh. Anyway, never mind. Um, the supply chain, that's what the word is. Yep, the whole Thank supply you. chain. Yeah. So um, I just wondered too whether there's a, there's something that you would like to 
put out as kind of a call to action to consumers, yeah. how they think about fashion or um, being more aware of what's happening in this space. Yeah, um, I think that it can be kind of a redundant message, but maybe not everyone has heard it before. So I'm going to go ahead and say it again, buy less, but better. Um, and I, I was actually just writing a podcast episode today for my own podcast. Um, and the title was something along the lines, like, you know, will, will a recession, you know, uh, kill sustainable fashion. And what the research has found and what I'm reading is that we are in a time where people actually, you know, consumer behavior has shifted since let's say 2008, you know, financial crisis and the recession then, um, and people do want to buy less and buy better. And so I think if you can kind of think about what does that mean to you? What does that look like? Can you take that extra pause as you're sc scrolling through Instagram and you're being served an Instagram ad that is perfectly catered, you know, to what you were talking about or looking for, but think again, like, oh, but do I need that? Will I wear it for years to come? Is it classic? Is it well-made? Is it trendless? Is it seasonless so that I can have it in my closet as a staple and it won't get, you know, discarded after a few wears? I think that is what we can do from the consumer standpoint and actually have the power to make some change in the fashion industry once we start thinking in that way. Mm, yeah, wonderful. I think it's really worth restating that if people have heard that before, the way that you express that then was just really clear. So thank you for that. Um, I'm going to include um, in the show notes below um, links to your your work. Um, is there anything in particular that you wanted to um, let people know about what they can find on your site? You said that there was the the various sorts of examples. What what can they find on your on your site? And also tell us about your podcast too. Yeah. So um, if you're interested in learning more about starting your own sustainable fashion brand, I have so many free resources um, on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel, Factory 45. Um, we have a podcast called Start Your Sustainable Fashion Brand. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, and then we have um, my blog is called The Factory Floor. And it's again, free resources. We have tons of freebies and all things that you could just start to dabble. And even if you're not sure about pursuing your idea, um, it's, there are so many ways to sort of test and see before you take the full plunge. So that's what I would encourage if, if there's an idea in your head and you can't stop thinking about it. Um, and on the other hand, if you are ready and you are getting ready to start your sustainable fashion brand and you want to do it through factory 45, you can book a call with our director of enrollment. Um, and you can do that at factory 45.co slash apply. Fantastic. And tell me just briefly about your podcast. What happens on your podcast and what's it called? So my podcast is a little bit different. It's called Start Your Sustainable Fashion Brand. It's not guest interview format. It's more, um, it's under 20 minute episodes with quick tips of whether that is supply chain, marketing, um, encouragement, uh, audience building. I sort of give uh, very tangible, easy things that you can do today uh, to just take action on starting your own brand. 
Oh, fantastic. So there's a whole lot of things for everyone to dive into and I, I will be linking those all below. So read the show notes and you can find all of the things that Shannon has to offer. Thank you so much for joining me today, Shannon. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks everyone for tuning into this episode of Sense Making in a Changing World. I'm delighted to be able to share my conversation with Shannon Law with you. Remember to check out the show notes for links to Shannon's work and also to our work here at the Permaculture Education Institute and to leave a five-star review because it does help the algorithm to notice and share our show. And don't forget to, to subscribe uh, so you get notification of these weekly podcast episodes. Wishing you all the best. Take care.